Welcome to Millennial Shelter. I'm your host, Yi Sung Liu. This podcast is a show where each episode we're going to be discussing a topic that affects the lives of millennials. For this first episode, I wanted to talk about something that's equally personal and ubiquitous for people in this generation. And that's being in front of a camera. You know, I've had to sheepishly ask a friend to take photos of me for a Tinder profile. I've had、uh, embarrassing photos from high school that are now documented forever on Facebook. I feel like it's unavoidable to some extent.、Uh, so let's talk about it in what's going to be our show's lovely three act structure. We have some great guests this first episode. First, we're going to have a conversation with the writer and actor Maggie Mae Fish. Who creates video essays on YouTube? Then we'll be joined by actor Mike Mitchell, who can be seen in Amazon Prime Studios' The Tomorrow War. And lastly, a deep dive into Instagram. Is it a creative outlet or is it emotionally harmful? Let's get into it. Act one being on YouTube. I wanted to talk to Maggie first because essentially it's her job to be on camera. Her YouTube channel has over 130,000 subscribers, and there she creates incredible videos about film analysis. Everything from Kubrick to the Cats remake. And because she has her own channel, I could ask her about what's shown and what's not shown, what's real and what's artificial. We touch on that and what it's like seeing yourself during editing and why we think so many kids want to pursue YouTube as a career. Hope you enjoy. So people, people know you from your YouTube channel mostly, but、uh, mm-hmm. before that, people might not know that you were an actor and writer for crack.com. What I want to start with is that even before that, Do you remember、mm-hmm. the first time you took a camera and hit record and thought, okay, I'm gonna do something? Oh man. Actually, yes. It was, it was in、uh, middle school, middle school and high school. I know this is, we're going, we're going far back. Yeah.、Um, I had a best friend and we would recreate、um, sketches from the Amanda show.、Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. Oh, I had a friend that would do、um, the totally Kyle、uh, and I would shoot it. And it's funny, yeah, that basically, yeah, we would just copy characters that they had already made and be like, okay, but like, what if we did it?、Um, copying is the first form of flattery, I've been told. I, absolutely. I, I remember <laughs>、um, my friend and I did、uh, a similar thing where we lip sunk to、uh, Fergie's Big Girls Don't Cry in like middle school、oh, or high school.、Uh-huh. The height of comedy.、Mm-hmm. Kind、um, of comedy. Do you、mm-hmm. still have that video, or or how was it received? Oh man, I don't still have it. I don't think we ever released it. These were like we would just keep, you know, we were like, yeah, we accomplished it. We made it ourselves, and then showed no one.、Um, I see. I see. Can you compare that to making the first video on your channel, which is, if people don't know, it's a great video essay about Tim Burton films.、Mm-hmm. What was what was that like now in a professional sense? Yeah, I mean, honestly. Very feels very the same.、Uh, I remember when we first, the reason we decided to shoot、uh, an episode and just you know put it on my own channel was I had originally worked on this script for Cracked.、Um, mm. And I don't, I don't know if listeners know this, but you know, remember when Facebook lied about the, <laughs> the analytics? It,、right. was, it was a big blow to,、uh, to digital comedy.、Um, right. So when all that was going down,、uh, yeah, we kind of had a meeting that was basically like Cracked is on、uh, thin ice just with who owned it.、Um, So, all to say that, yeah, it was kind of like a, well, I already did the work for this, and, you know, I might as well shoot it. And, like, you know, I know how to shoot videos.、Um, I was working closely with my partner who directs and produces. So, yeah, we were just like, 
let's go for it. No high expectations. Um, no high expectations, but in the back of your mind where you're like, man, it'd be awesome if this, you know, blew up and people actually watched. You know, honestly, not not really, which is mm-hmm. interesting. And I know that, uh, oh, like, I don't look down on creators that do feel that way because I, I also think that's a completely valid reason to, you know, make online content. But yeah, originally I was just like, I wanted to put it somewhere. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed like doing film analysis has just helped me in every aspect, uh, you know, from acting to writing. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just really fun. It tickles my like, my, like analytic brain which is you know not not everything in the creative field um can do that so it's it's uh it's nice to hear you talk about it so casually because i feel like with with starting out a Mm -hmm. lot of people now are nervous and and put a lot of pressure on themselves some could say the same about the podcast that they're listening to oh and and the human that's talking (laughs) right now uh but but i wanted to ask like were you do you do you get nervous still? Were you ever nervous, like getting in front of a getting in front of a camera, either a cracked or mm-hmm. you know doing the Amanda show, or <laughs> even now with your most recent Wes Anderson video? Like, are there ever nerves that still enter? A little bit. I will say, when I was very young, like um, kindergarten, all the way to maybe second grade, I had like a huge stage fright, like. Mm. And, you know, I went to a small school, so there were a lot of school assemblies where, like, everyone had to be involved. Like, everyone had to be on stage. Uh, I happened to be, like, an okay singer. You know, when you're in kindergarten, it's like they take, you know, like, four girls who can kind of sing. And they're like, okay, you're the choir. Um, So that was me. But every time I was on stage, I I would shut down. Like, one Christmas rehearsal, I ran off stage and, like, hid in, like, a separate classroom. Um, The temperamental artist. The temperamental, I the conditions are not <laughs> good enough for me to work. Um, but yeah, actually, I did have uh, teachers who, mm-hmm. you know, just like took me inside and basically kind of instilled that attitude of like, it's not a big deal. Like, mm. you know, what you're building it up in your mind, I promise you, no one cares. Like, you know, your parents are just there to, they're going to be happy, whatever. And I think internally I kind of yeah I kind of internalized that um and then I was able to yeah get over my stage fright to the point where it became like a 180 where you know (laughs) by fourth grade I was like if I'm not the lead it's an injustice (laughs) like if I'm cow number four again oh my god um so yeah I it was a learning curve but I think after that I, it truly never came up again. Mm. Now I am nervous, but it has more to do with um, like the analysis. Like, right. oh, like I hope I explained myself well. Um, and I hope that I, you know, covered everything with enough sensitivity. You know, mm-hmm. there's a, mm. a lot of balancing that I like to do um, just to make sure that, you know, nothing comes off ever as like too straight praise for something or, you know, too harsh. Um, right. right. Well, something that, like, you probably didn't have to deal with being in a choir as a, as a child, but you deal with now is that, like, is seeing yourself while editing. And I know, like, you mm-hmm. mentioned in, in, a, in a Q&A video that you did on YouTube that you, you work with someone who edits your videos, but I was I wondering mm-hmm. if this is always the case or have you ever, like, edited yourself and what was that mm-hmm. like? 
I I have edited myself mostly again in like a sketch comedy context, right. which I think I I yeah I do not like looking at footage of myself sure. that much. There I can watch. You know, we do watch the videos a couple times through before we post them. And I usually hit my limit at around three times mm -hmm. where any time after that, I am sick of my face, sick of looking at it. Um, and the kind of the just the regular, you know, like, oh, I don't like this about myself comments that like aren't helpful start to creep yeah. in, um, which I think is very common uh, for, you know, anyone that works in digital. Um, so, yeah, I I luckily, yes, do have an editor that takes care of most of the editing. editing. Um, but yeah, when I'm playing a character, actually, I can edit myself and it's a mm -hmm. lot easier. I have an emotional distance when I'm playing someone else. Um, but yeah, a lot of times in the YouTube video, I do try to make things a little more personal here and there, um, mm. which is harder for me to edit. And when I'm being myself, it's a lot yeah. harder to edit. I mean, you'll in some of my uh, videos, you'll notice there's like a, I do the Midwestern lady yes, character. Of course, which, a yes, fan favorite. Yes, a fan favorite. Um, but yeah, a lot of those are actually just uh, like distancing techniques. So it's easier mm. for me to be on camera and to yeah, inhibit or inhabit someone that's not me. So I don't have to be so critical of myself. You know, there's like a nice little layer of removal. Right. Has so. has this gotten, I'll say for myself, like mm -hmm. once a friend helped me take one photo for my dating profile, this is, Aww, this is yeah. so, so long ago. <laughs> and I remember like halfway through just realizing that we already had a graveyard of 65 photos that I wasn't. <laughs> happy with any of them like has this has being critical of yourself and mm -hmm. and you know bristling at the thought of watching yourself has it changed over time has it slowly gotten better or or do you think it's like just no matter what you're gonna feel weird mm -hmm. like hearing yourself or seeing yourself I think a little bit of both um mm -hmm. I think overall I think it's been a net positive. I think, mm. yeah, being able to think about yourself, think about the way that your words affect others, um, like in a helpful manner, how other, how it will be perceived. And yeah, there are things that I appreciate about myself that I've only noticed, yeah, through mm. editing myself or seeing myself on video. There's a lot of things that I have only now realized are strengths of mine um, that yeah. I probably wouldn't have been able to appreciate. But I, yeah, I also think there will always be, especially creatives, there will always be something that is just weird about it. It's also like I, I recently took new headshots. I am a terrible mm. headshot taker. Wow. Like notoriously. Yeah, which is yeah. – Interesting, because again, like I see my face all the time. But yeah, all to say when I the person who's taking my headshots was like, yeah, a lot of actors are great at acting, but can't you right. know, for some reason, like the headshot is just like an extra weird thing that just doesn't sit well with them, mm -hmm. which is, yeah, kind of how I feel about um, videos. It's like, yeah, I can make the video, but watching and editing is, yeah. When you say um, struggling with headshots, mm -hmm. do you mean the process of making different expressions or do you mean the process of selecting photos when you're done uh mostly the selecting I, okay it, yeah when, <laughs> yes i mean oh my goodness yes when i'm with a photographer it's fair mm. i love working with photo i love working with directors and photographers which right. um probably my favorite thing about you know the 
industry as a whole is working with people like that. Um, mm. So yeah, I love working with photographers and, you know, when they give suggestions on, you know, expressions and stuff. But yeah, when you get like a hundred photos of yourself back, you start to look at it and be like, uh, I don't like any of my, you know, like I don't right. want any shot. Like, right, right. Uh, why do we have to do this? You start to have like a slight spiral of just seeing so many copies of your face you almost get like a face blindness where you know yeah you can't even really tell two uh two faces apart but you know that's why you have friends to tell you for you (laughs) i i can totally imagine how overwhelming that is Mm -hmm. and i can also imagine myself in that situation being like like, I would never admit it to anyone, but I'm like, mm-hmm. two of these are going to make it onto social media, and I'm so excited for that. Do you, is that a relatable mm-hmm. feeling? or? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Yeah. It's fun when you see other people post, like, a, you know, beautiful photo, and you're just like, mm-hmm. you're, and you know, you're just like, in awe of this, like, wonderful human that you know. And then, right. like, you remember yourself picking out a photo, and how many, you like, yeah, the graveyard yeah, yeah. of, like, ah. Uh, Shit, shit, shit. Or right, like, right, right. Why do I look exactly like my father? You know, like <laughs> just so many things that no one else, ever, you know, would ever yeah. think about you. Um, like speaking of staging, mm-hmm. a lot of your videos have really like gorgeous background sets. Oh, thank you. And mm-hmm. I'm uh, no problem. And and mm-hmm. and people might not know but it is with my assumption having very mm-hmm. limited like feel uh, like a uh, film experience mm-hmm. that just outside the frame everything's being held together with like duct tape and barely absolutely. being okay <laughs> absolutely does does knowing that like the amount of editing and the amount of not artifice but like mm-hmm. setup does that help with like not comparing yourself to others on social media being aware of that or is it still like you got to remind yourself to mm-hmm. to to recognize those signs. Mm-hmm. I would say I was absolutely the artifice helps, mm-hmm. um, and I think I'm only noticing now as you bring it up. Um, but yeah, I I'm a person that that you know loving films like I do love artifice. Like in a mm-hmm. way, all films are like a curated uh, idea of the world. Yeah, I think bringing artifice into it. Uh, is kind of fun and it allows us i think to talk about things that are harder to talk about in mm-hmm. film um yeah because you know our we do like to go you know pretty deep with like analysis and film theory um so to balance that out i like to make things you know to make them approachable and fun right. and i think part of that is kind of what i'm doing with the sets where it's like you know like yeah. just inviting people in to this like make-believe space um right, right. Right, with like a, an altered version of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so again, like speaking of the Kubrick video, yeah, we like unfortunately had to talk about like sure, sure. like abuse behind the camera, which is like not fun to talk about, but I do want all the videos to be fun in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And a way to do that is yeah, just kind of create a little make believe space for. Yeah people to come watch yeah if people haven't seen it i i as i was watching it i was so surprised at how like easily digestible it all was considering thank you yeah the considering Mm -hmm. the heavy-handed subject matter yeah the last thing i want to ask about social media is like Mm -hmm. you just or you've just finished the shining video Mm -hmm. it's it's a week out people are loving it Mm -hmm. there's i feel like with creating 
videos online, there's the, or anything online, mm -hmm. there's the economy of reminding people that you exist. Uh, yeah. How, how do you navigate that? Or do you, do you not consider, do you not consider it that way? Do you just mm -hmm. consider it of, here's something on my mind, I'm going to tweet it out, or here's a nice photo, I'm going to send it out. Yeah, I, I am definitely the, the latter as opposed mm. to the former. Um, yeah. Which like, there are pros and cons to that. I, there are people who are so good at social media and like know how to promote themselves. And mm -hmm. it's very clear and very effective. Um, and I will say just like, you know, having been on social media this long, I'm sure there are things that I do that, you know, could be considered that, that are effective. Um, but yeah, for the most part, and also anyone lis listening and interested, I find the easiest way to do social media is just like, be yourself and be as honest as possible. And yeah, mm -hmm. I truly only tweet um, when something comes to mind, which I am a tweeter deleter. I do delete <laughs> a lot of my tweets. I, I'm a chronic yeah. tweeter deleter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, just because I, I, you know, look at like, I kind of just wanted to be able to say anything. And then later when I was like, that wasn't funny, but I'm glad I said it. I'll, I'll delete it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do try to just be, you know, honest and myself. Because at the end of the day, again, like, if I'm going to be playing a character, like, I'm going to be paid for it. Otherwise, yes. like, yeah. it's a lot easier just to be yourself. And also, like, as far as, you know, the idea of promoting, I think mostly what, you know, I like myself. I just want people to, you know, feel like see see me throughout my social media. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, that doesn't mean I, I don't want anyone to feel like they ever have to say anything like super personal or, you know, like it also doesn't have to be that. It's just like honesty with your emotions or, you know, um, usually when I tweet something, it's like an observational thing that, you mm -hmm. know, I saw in real life or happened to me. Um, yeah, which just makes it, easier uh less pressure I for think. sure mm -hmm. um so with social media and with with your videos mm -hmm. hundreds of thousands of people watch your videos um mm -hmm. in your milestone video celebrating a hundred thousand subscribers you mentioned that despite this being on youtube is lonely mm -hmm. and i feel mm -hmm. like for for a lot of people myself included like at first glance it's like how could that possibly be the case yeah but could mm -hmm. you talk about could you talk about that loneliness? Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely. I I could talk about this forever. Yeah, because mm -hmm. I know from the outside, like, you'd be like, how? Yeah. Um, and even at this point, like, I'm currently on a Discord um, with a bunch of other creators who, you know, I admire. Um, and it's, you know, like, and that's a community that we can all talk to each other. But it is true. A lot of the work, yeah, is just like sitting and staring at my computer and like mm -hmm. and shooting. It's just me and my partner who I love. But yeah, it's just us alone in a room with duct tape everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're basically alone until we put it out, which mm -hmm. is also scary because you have less input um, from other right. people. Um, but yeah, and you two, yeah, and you two, you kind of are in charge of everything, which is also very mm -hmm. great, very cool. Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, I learned a lot of leadership skills, uh, learned mm -hmm. how to be my own boss. Um, what does that are, mean? It's, it's not fun. It's, it's, it's basically just like, um, 
what is it? It's basically like, a, you know, on Mondays, I'll sit down with myself and like yeah. schedule out my week. Um, right. right. Uh, so, yeah, just like granular things like that. Um, but again, yeah, it can feel very lonely because it's like, wow, I look I, you know, wake up on Monday. I make my calendar for the week. And the calendar is just me, like working yeah. on the video, me doing research. Um, mm -hmm. In peak me fashion, yeah. if I can continue asking about the sad stuff, <laughs> please. I I love talking about it because I again, like I like I said, I like being honest, so I okay. don't like to sugarcoat things. I I feel like the worst case scenario in this is. Mm -hmm. I'm creating a video, a podcast, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's taken me a month. Mm -hmm. yeah. Gotten really no input besides yeah. my closest friends. Yeah. And they and love you. So. And they love you. So they can't be honest. And then yep. you put it out there. And then there's one negative comment in the sea of mm -hmm. hundreds of positive comments. Mm -hmm. How do you personally uh, deal with that? Oh, man. I feel like that's probably like a lifelong process for a lot of people. Um, yeah. But again, I will say I get not to, I feel like I keep connecting things to things that happened early in life. Um, mm. But it is true. When I was in high school, um, I noticed that I uh, got jealous very easily um, mm. of things that I didn't even really care about, you know, like, uh, and I noticed that about myself. Um, and again, like, you know, when I was, I was thinking, well, if I want to be an actress one day, I'm going to have to get over this because that's simply a part of the job. Right. Um, and so I feel like throughout my high school, um, throughout high school and like the first year of college, I felt like I really tried to root that out of myself. Mm -hmm. um, this idea of like comparison. Um, and yeah, I think from that early on, I started to yeah, just kind of grow a thicker skin. But yeah, it does, you know, it, it takes some personal work. Um, uh, but that also is also a thing that I do like to tell people is that all creative things kind of run into each other. Um, mm -hmm. So like you, you may learn uh, when you're writing a short story how to take criticism, but later, you know, that will help you down the line when you're making YouTube videos. Because, right. you know, in at the end of the day, it's all... Yeah, it's all like an artistic uh, expression. So the method yeah. acting used in the Amanda Show recreation, oh, right? Precisely. Informs the, yeah. Precisely. I am a dancing lobster, um, <laughs> um, and will be. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the last thing that I want to ask is, uh, mm -hmm. I I, I want to read you this CNBC headline from 2019. Ooh. Um, yes. The headline is, forget law school, these kids want to be a YouTube star. I'll read the statistics in a second, but what, uh, what are your thoughts on that headline? Man, I, I mean, I, I deeply loved my education. I loved and I hated it. I mm -hmm. went to Northwestern. Um, mm. I was a scholarship kid. I, like many other people my age, it was drilled into our heads that, right. you know, to get out of your small town or achieve anything. You need to go to the best school that you can get into. You mm. know, who cares how much it costs, yada, yada. And 
you know, any millennial talk to basically tried to do that. Um, yes. And I do love my education. Like I said, especially any of my arts professors, they were very grounded um, and very much about, yeah, how to be a living, mm-hmm. working actor. I remember this one director I was working with. He one day told us how to apply for food stamps. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. Like the the real, like actual things that you you need to know to be in a creative field. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, but it only now uh, I am like that should have been free. Like everyone mm-hmm. should be allowed to get the education um, to make it, you know, to utilize later in like their YouTube channel or whatever. Yeah. Really, I think headlines like that just again point back to like the societal problems of sure. if college were free, like that wouldn't be a headline because kids could just go and have a YouTube channel, yes. yeah. which many kids do. Um, but it is hard. It's, you know, it's hard for them to balance. And um, yeah, I, yeah, that's a thing because I, I use my degree so much in my YouTube channel um, right. that it's like without that education, I technically, you know, sure, maybe I could have a YouTube channel, but it, you know, would have just been sketches instead of, you know, something that's like a, has a little more substance to it. Yeah, you're, so, the the yeah. videos on your channel have have a great deal of substance to them. It's it's very clear mm-hmm. that it's written and 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 contrasts very heavily from someone who's putting out daily vlogs, um, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. would also require a great amount of effort. Um, mm-hmm. The article basically mentions that in 2019, there's mm-hmm. about 30% of kids who want to make it uh, yeah. online. And I want to ask, do you think creating, do you think being an influencer mm-hmm. is the new American dream? Because <laughs> yeah. I, maybe I, I, uh-huh. I, I feel very biased to this because I uh-huh. remember watching um, people on YouTube when I was younger mm-hmm. and I was like, well, it kind of just seems like these people exist for a living. Right, right. Who mm-hmm. wouldn't want to do that? So I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear your thoughts on whether or not mm-hmm. the attractiveness of this occupation is merited or not. Mm-hmm. I do think there there are so I do think there are a lot of merits to it, especially like um being able to schedule your own time. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, being someone that started my YouTube channel when I was juggling several other low-paying jobs, um, yeah. being able to not do that anymore was life-changing. I mean, again, now with my extra time, I can actually like write script. You know, I can dedicate mm-hmm. that to things I actually care about instead of you know my two two other uh, jobs. So yeah, in a lot of ways, it's offering things that a lot of other jobs just do not offer, will not offer, um, cannot offer, you know. Yeah. Uh, even just like a like a living wage. Like that is a thing that a lot of jobs just don't have on the table where a YouTube channel, yeah, like you can, um, you know, again, like if you hit, you know, if it is a success, you can uh, make a living wage on it, which mm-hmm. in itself is a huge, like a huge draw to wanting to be able to do with that, which... I do think a lot of adults who like, you know, might look down on this type of thing don't realize that that is a huge part of it. It's simply the economy that we're in. Um, All that being said, it is so hard to do. And also, um, again, I was very lucky enough that I think, you know, I I had enough. um, I knew myself well enough to come online 
and not be, you know, so changed by it. Whereas if you're younger, um, mm. you know, online, how people perceive you will change how you perceive yourself, yeah. um, which is a lot harder to navigate, um, you know, when you're, you know, just younger and just have less like, you know, a grounded sense of, you know, who you are. Um, mm. So, yeah. yeah. It's a complicated issue. And yeah, I don't think that everyone who says that is some, you know, shallow, like clueless person, which, right. you know, I think is easy for adults to think. But yeah, it's one of the only good jobs out there. You can make your own schedule. Ah! Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, well, this has been a great success uh, because of my <laughs> ulterior motive of creating woke leftist propaganda. Um, it's true. That was our conversation with Maggie Mae Fish. You can find her on Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at Maggie Mae Fish. Stick around. We'll be right back. Act two, being recognized. Mike Mitchell is an actor and friend who you might have seen in Parks and Recreation, Love on Netflix, or a lot of other shows, but recently he had a movie come out, The Tomorrow War on Amazon. I wanted to ask Mitch about his experiences on camera because, after all... If millennials are what we're accused of, which is seeking attention and fame, then being in movies means achieving that goal, even if it's unintentional. We get into what it's like being recognized and being typecast. I also want to say that you'll probably hear it. Despite having talked to Mitch countless times in the past, I was nervous. Being reminded that someone was in a movie does that to you, you know? All right. Please enjoy our conversation with Mike Mitchell. Mitch, when you were 16 or 17 years old and growing up in Quincy, were you thinking to yourself at that time, I want to be an actor when I grow up? No. I mean, I had a, I, I loved acting and I loved and, and, I, and I loved performing. I think that as a kid in, in Quincy, Massachusetts, I, I don't think that it was ever possible. I, and also, like, not to be down on myself, but I was like, a chunky, I, I like I, di- I didn't feel the the best about how I looked at mm. fifteen or sixteen, so I for sure didn't think that it was like I, I didn't like to get my my photo taken really more than anything. I liked theater. I went to theater camp a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to theater camp a lot. I went to theater camp <laughs> in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, starting from when I was in elementary school all the way up through middle school, and then it was a scenario where. You know, as a teenage kid, you're afraid to get made fun of, and every you know you you, you don't sure. want to, and and that for me, unfortunately, in Quincy, a city that I do love, it was a thing that I was kind of afraid of. I was like, oh, I don't want to get made fun of. I don't want people to make fun of me. So I just kind of like did nothing. I tried to play football, was very bad at it, but like mm-hmm. tried to do kind of like the more you know, like oh, I'm gonna do like uh, I'm gonna play sports or try, you know, and and mm-hmm. and I wish that there was kind of a. A feeling of oh like you know like theater and or singing and all that stuff is like it's and you know it's a lot of that was just in me of of being afraid to do it and and it was all in my head but hmm. no so I never I never thought that I could be an actor I knew that I wanted to like make people laugh but I didn't know I thought that those were just you know dreams that don't come true so like when I was like 15 or 16, honestly, I was like, I should like go to the Navy, go into the Navy and like, Oh my God. 
have get my life in order sort of sort of deal like that's kind of and probably i still could use that <laughs> but back then i mean i didn't even know if i wanted to go to college honestly and and but i you know i i, I went but i but i didn't i had no idea kind of what i wanted to do it wasn't until uh, i got to ithaca which you know mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. that i that i it was a s- situation where i was like oh you can there's like ways you can be in that industry without you know necessarily being like the hunk that's on screen you know like that was kind of like where my head was at was like sure i'm not a movie like i'm not a movie star i'm not a movie star looking guy you know what i mean like and i and i love watching movies and tv but like what is the point of like keep doing theater stuff yeah and and i'm sad about that honestly like it is a thing that i that, that i look back and i'm sad about but that's where I started to go. I went, I went to cinema production when I went to Ithaca. That was I changed my major from computer science. That was my major. Mm-hmm. I also did that for for three semesters and then and then quit. Well, I I just want to wow. say really quickly. I I love this conversation already because we're eventually going to get to it. But you are by definition a movie looking guy now. You're you're in <laughs> movies and you're a movie looking guy now. Wow. Thank you, son. I think that's the thing too is it's like oh there's like so many great character actors and and people that don't look like the you don't have to be the hunk that's in movies and like that's the stuff that's more fun anyways is the you know is uh, yeah. are the fun side characters the the character actor people so it took me a while I mean when I was when I when I came to LA it was a thing pretty quickly where I was like oh I love performing and and I I started doing improv and that got my you know that that I was like, oh, I love being up on stage. I love doing this. Was improv your first performance that you remember doing? Besides, I guess besides theater camp, like yeah, since I was from that was like in like college. There was like stuff where I like acted in like you know whatever did stuff for like student films or whatever, but like mm-hmm. small stuff. And then yeah, no acting. Like yeah, as far as as far as like performing, that was that was it. Yeah, being like back on stage, and it was. It was funny because I like uh, it's something that you sh- I should be more comfortable with, and I was like, "Oh man, I'm so nervous to get back on stage." And it was that way for a while. I mean, UCB mm-hmm. kind of throws you into the fire in a good way, where when, when you know back this is 2005, 2006, or whatever. But mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you know, you're you're up on stage performing for people, even in your first class show or whatever. So yeah, I, I've always wanted to ask this because you're so successful now but do you do you consider UCB and acting and sketches as as the acting training that would ultimately lead to like you know NBC and Netflix and Amazon and stuff no i mean no i didn't expect that at all and like i've taken other classes and stuff like that over the years for sure mm-hmm. but i think that and i think for sh- i think that it is it is a thing for at least i mean i don't know how other performers and actors feel out here about it but there is a thing where you're like, oh, I didn't go to NYU or I didn't go to Tisch or whatever, and right. <laughs> there's classically trained actors, and I think it's that sort of thing of oh, you're like uh, you're playing catch up maybe for the rest rest of your days, opposed to people who went into school knowing what they were going to do. But like, who at 18 knows what they're going to do is the crazy thing. And I guess that, you know there are a lot of actors who who do just know that right away and and start at like a really young age. But I mean, like. It's that sort of thing of what are you what are you supposed to do? For me, it was just always that kind of thing of like, well, I'm gonna like try to read a bunch of books and try to take a bunch of classes and 
what else what else is there to really do besides that you know like and 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 unless you know you go you full-on go back to school to to get a degree in acting or whatever or, or you know I, i'm not i don't think i'm gonna do that at this point but <laughs> well it's 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 nice to be able to look back on that and say well th- that paid off because in 2011 and 2012 you were on parks and rec park rec parks and recreation on nbc which is yeah. you know a legitimate production with a lot of cast and crew and pas and visitors on set like Oh no! I was it was terrifying. What what was it like getting there and getting in front of the camera? Were were you nervous? So <laughs> it was like we eventually all of us, all of the birthday boys, everyone in the sketch group that I was in got we got we got signed by a manager. Like we all got the same manager basically, mm-hmm. and then they were like sending us out on audition. So this is like 2010, maybe when I did this part. But I had already auditioned before that. Obviously, I it. Like that wasn't my first thing. I mm-hmm. I had gone in and embalmed so many things, and I was not. Still to this day, don't love going into rooms. Like a, like a, I'm not I'm not I'm not a huge, in the room guy. I'm not like mm-hmm. a comfortable being like, what's up, everybody? All right, right. I'm gonna do my little performance for you. But um, Par- Parks and Rec was one of those things where I think they called in a lot of the birthday boys, and you know like. You know, I remember it was like a gum or a mint, gum, and like there's no gum, like a mint's fine. And then I'm mm. like, do you have anything or whatever? Like I remember it was like oh three lines like that. But, you know, like it's so funny because it's just like the friendliest casting people, usually like a nice little old lady trying to be nice to you. And then you're like freaking the fuck out. <laughs> uh, like you're always – and, you know, that's not the experience now, but for when I – but. When I mean, obviously, still sometimes with an audition, I'll go in and be like, "Ooh, I got nerves," and mm-hmm. then I'll, you know, and sometimes I'll bomb them. Not sometimes. I mean, I feel like you leave an audition being like, "Ugh, that sucked." <laughs> that that happens more often than you'd like to think it does. But it it was just a few lines, and it was like, "Oh, I get like what the scene is. I just have to be like the straight man to Chris Pratt to Andy right. Dwyer, and and like and just be kind of like like let him be funny." Mm-hmm. And we did, and then my friend Harris Whittles, who who was who's passed away, rest in peace to Harris, one of the funniest people on earth. Yeah, was he was in the in the uh, in the writers' room, and I think he was watching auditions with Mike Schur, and, and my audition came up, and he was like, "This guy is like from Boston. He likes the Red Sox." So I think that that won me some points. <laughs> wow. Um, I think that yeah, I think that won me some points, and then the audition did go well. Like it 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 felt. It felt good. So, mm. like, uh, not not that like it's just, you know it was just a few lines. I went in there and like did it and was like, all right, I I like did what I thought was funny and then and then I got out of there and and that's that I think that's always the thing is like you just want to try to do something that you think is good or funny. You know, like you, you it's about like doing a little performance for yourself. This is like people are rolling their eyes at this. This is like the most basic like uh like actor advice ever. But it's like go into an audition and like. Just try to make your like be happy with what you do, and that that yeah. is the truth. And and that and you know that was like kind of like the first thing I booked. That's I got you know I got into, I believe AFTRA at the time. It became SAG AFTRA, but I think that I got into AFTRA because of that. And then I think that's, SAG AFTRA. I think that's good advice, and probably uh, would be well received by uh, podcast hosts on this very show. Uh, trying to <laughs> trying to nervously interview people. So when that when that 
when that Parks and Rec episode came out, did you watch yourself on a TV uh, when it premiered? Oh, a hundred percent. I like, uh, yeah, it was, that was, that was a huge, it was a huge night for me. I, I was very excited to, to, and you know, told everyone in, in Quincy. And then eventually I did, I did a sketch with Tom Brady. And I think that's what got me in like the Patriot ledger, but that was a big, that was a big deal to, to, you know, to show up on, on, uh, on national TV on, yeah. on a, on a broadcast network show. So um, it was huge. No, it was. It was. Uh, I I watched it and cringed watching myself, and yeah. and then you know probably watched it a hundred more times than <laughs> no one else. And and uh, it was. Uh, it was. It was. It was. It was. It was good. It was a. It was a good first experience. And then ha- and Harris. Not that that was like I had done other stuff, but that was like the first real thing. Mm-hmm. And and Harris would always give me a heads up if if it was that sort of thing of. He'd be like Bjorn's in the script, and that you know it happened like six more times or whatever. I think one of them got, and like sometimes it would get cut out of the episode, but there, there, there would always be stuff where he'd be like, "Check it out," and he'd send me he send me a, a text, and it would be like Bjorn highlighted in the script, and it would be like a little chunk or whatever, and it was yeah. very exciting That's whenever awesome. that would happen. Yeah. Um, if if let's say tomorrow you were filming an NBC sitcom and you had to basically do this, would you still? Would you still be as nervous as walking on to the set of Parks and Rec? No, I wouldn't be as nervous as I was on Parks and Rec. I I was like I was in a t-shirt in that scene and I was so afraid that I was going to be sweating through my armpits mm-hmm. that I like there I remember we we shot it on where is it? Was it on was it on Vine? It's like on that Right before the arc light, you know, the, you know that street that has kind of like bars going. Uh, the, this the, would be uh, such a great question for someone who goes outside. I wish <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing such a bad job. I can't even remember the name of the the place where you get wings, but big wings. Mm-hmm. And there was, I remember there was a like a porter potty that wasn't even like a part of set. Mm-hmm. And I like went in the porter potty and was like looking at my armpits and like drying my armpits because I was so nervous and I thought yeah. I was gonna sweat through. Yeah. And then I I like got in there and you know, like film sets are crazy. Like they lead you right up to the spot and then you like they're trying to get their stuff and get out of there. And I was just trying not to fuck up and but was so I was so I was so terrified. Also shout out to Dorian Frankel. That's who the casting director was who who mm. uh, who I got my park with 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 parts and Parks and Rec. She was, I love her. Well, that's Parks and Rec, but but after this experience, your 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 acting career starts getting into to gear. There's the Birthday Boys. There's Comedy Bang Bang. There's Love on Netflix. There's a lot of other smaller things in this yeah. period where you're acting more. Um, you've discussed this on the podcast High and Mighty, but people love typecasting actors. Can you talk about your experience with this? <laughs> um, yeah, no, they do. I mean, like for me, if I I'm always kind of playing nervous or kind of scaredy cat or dummies, mm. like uh, some stuff along that lines, and that definitely happens. But it's also that sort of thing of like, huh, if you know that you can do that well, then like it's not a thing that's can never be that bad, you know. So long as you like it and you think it's funny or whatever i'm i'm always down to to do a similar thing but yeah of course you want to 
you want to try to do different stuff and 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 not do the you know be one note and be like um i'm the idiot that's afraid <laughs> over and over again but you know like if that if that works i i i loved i loved love just because it was that sort of thing of like oh it's not like a guy who's there for like mm-hmm. just one scene you kind of get to like see what this doofus is all about or whatever and and you mm-hmm. kind of there's there's a little more beef to it and and you get you get to see the meat of 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 what he is a little bit more but also i'm not you know i'm not opposed to going into a scene and being like i lost my shoe you know what i mean like that's fine <laughs> that's classic mike sure writing um uh, you know i just realized that that is from the birthday boys bob oh. <laughs> bob there's a sketch where bob's like my shoe and he keeps losing his shoe over and over again he was mm-hmm. just bob saying my shoe was making us laugh so much um well, did, did it did but but did the typecasting ever I never considered that it could be like a like an annoyance and a confidence booster of of knowing like oh I, I can do this. Did it affect the way you see yourself at all? Were you able to separate like oh that's acting, Mitch, and this is real life, Mitch? Yeah, no, for sure. I it's 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 funny. I, I uh, that's 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 a, that's a good question. I mean, like for sure, I think sometimes people think that like oh you're like a lot like your character and you're an idiot or whatever. I mean, that's that's maybe an issue with like the podcast when when mm-hmm. I'm doing doughboys where people are like oh this dummy or whatever but i uh i i don't i don't care what you know i don't care what people think like that's 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 fine like i will get annoyed sometimes but more so you don't you don't want it to be like oh i can only play that character or like you only think of me as like but it's so hard to get anything in this city and get any work or any roles that you're like well if that's if there's some sort of need for a guy like this and they're they're mm-hmm. looking for it, then hell, I'll go in and I'll do my best version of this thing. You know what I mean? Like, so of course you want to play different characters, and that's what I love about sketches—you get to play a bunch of different weird things all the time. Mm-hmm. But also, you want to take whatever you can get. You know what I mean? Like, you, you, mm-hmm. you're I'm not I'm not I'm not going to be super picky about stuff because I just I just I just want to do I just want to perform and I want to act and stuff. So, yeah. yeah. As as people as you're taking on these different roles and as people are starting to know about you and as you're gaining mm-hmm. notoriety, do you did you feel that at all, or, or were you starting to get recognized at all? Well, I I I feel like that's this is like also a question that like so many like a like a um like. Uh, I remember a story about, and I'm not going to say who the actors are. They're like an older generation, but then mm-hmm. like this actor was like, I can't even walk down the street. And like another actor told me that and they were like rolling their eyes at them. And like, that's never happened. Like I, like I've never, <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know a lot of people who have, you know, made it to that point. When I, when I, when I did the tomorrow war and mm-hmm. I was on a flight with Chris Pratt, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that must be crazy. Cause he's getting like, he got, you know, someone came up to him in first class and was like, can I get your autograph? And I'm like, oh, that's like a crazy, that is a different world where just people are noticing you all the time. For me, I think the thing that when, when I, when I was doing love, mm-hmm. um, that was probably the time where like, oh, I would get recognized like while the show was going on, like, you know, just a couple seasons in, I feel mm-hmm. like, like maybe like, you know, like the third season I went, I went to Italy at one point with a bunch of friends mm-hmm. and people recognize me from love like in every spot every like stop we made so like we were in austria and we were in you know three different parts of italy and like 
an Italian woman came up to me and said Amore, and she she knew me from love. So that was kind wow. of the coolest. Yeah, that yeah. was that was kind of the coolest that it that it that things got with with as far as. And I, I, I think it's nice, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. it's cool to have people recognize you from your work and, you know, hopefully enjoy it, and, and that's why they're they're stopping you, so. It, it's so it's so nice to hear you talking so casually about being, you know, an international. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I can't. Well, on on this subject, so as an actor, you're you might be getting recognized, but when you're doing your work, you're not really mm-hmm. performing in front of that many people. Um, but... With the podcast, with Doughboys, there's live shows where you're face-to-face with your audience in real time. And in, in 2019, you were doing a sold-out show in the Wilbur Theater in Boston, which is a venue that seats over a 1,000 people cheering for you before you get on stage. Ah. Can, can, you, can you describe what that feeling is like? I think that... I've, I think the people cheering are usually it's usually just you you song at the shows you're at. I, think, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how many people are cheering for us. I mean, it's it's great. It's I mean, like that is the sort of thing of whenever you try not to even think about it too much. And like, luckily, just being on stage over the years, it, you don't. It's not as you don't get as worked up about. Mm-hmm. shows like that anymore but like a hometown crowd and it's a thousand people at the wilbur theater it was like oh man this is a lot of people and it's a hometown crowd and i don't want to let them down you know like it's, yeah. it's that sort of thing of i i uh yeah it's it's nerve-wracking it's definitely it's definitely nerve-wracking and 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 you want to go out there and, and be funny and when you're like aunt and friends from childhood are there and shit and you don't want to mm-hmm. hear people be like that wasn't that funny forever you know like that's because that's what hometown friends will say sometimes right, so it's right. that sort of thing of you really you really you really want to go out there and nail it and luckily we have so many funny guests that come with us and, and do a great job so the you know the pressure is the the pressure is off us a little bit but um mm-hmm. but no it's it's great yeah it's and it's something that i that i that i love doing and it's in and nick and i started the podcast to kind of scratch the itch of of performing on stage as we were getting kind of getting older Mm-hmm. in the in the ucb scene and and not getting up on stage as much anymore so so Do for you, that reason it's 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 great I, I i love getting up on stage and getting laughs and and you know having the energy of of the audience and stuff like that oh man i hope people don't roll their eyes at that but it's true it's nice it is it is nice no i a lot of performers will describe you know, I feel like I've read that performers describe that feeling as like you're invincible or you're flying or, you know, to have a, to have that many people on your side. And I, and I feel like this is speaking to that. Um, and I'm also realizing that when you're recording Doughboys, you're mostly just performing for Nick. Like, I feel like you're, you're performing for each other. Yes. Do you think that the, <laughs> the show works because you're both performing and being an audience member at the same time? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think for sure. I think that, I, I think it's that sort of thing of, uh, Nick is always a guy who I looked up to and he's super funny. And so still to this day, like, you know, when, when we decided to do Doughboys and do something together, I was excited to just do something with Nick. And I think we both were excited to have like an opportunity to try to make each other laugh and do stuff. Yeah. And though we annoy the shit out of each other, sometimes he still is one of the funniest people in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though he hates this business and <laughs> doesn't want to be a part of it, 
Um, but but yeah. uh, but I, you know, I want to try to make Nick laugh all the time. That's you know, that's the mm-hmm. goal, is yeah. to try to make him laugh. And he, you know, he's going to try to make me laugh too. And I think that that's when you go into it like that, like you're saying, and you kind of got to trust each other to just go out there. And there's you know a, a thousand people and. But you're like, well, I know that this guy's really funny, and if I know if I'm going to make him laugh, mm-hmm. then people are going to like it. And if I don't, and if I don't pull it off, he'll make fun of me, and he'll cover for me. You know what I mean? Right. Like he'll he'll make fun of it, and he'll and he'll and he'll help me out. So well, I don't. I've I've been hesitant to say the word fame, but I want to ask, how do you deal with the fact that people know you and like you? I know I like I know this sounds incredibly easy, but I feel like for a lot of people in this generation, it's actually pretty difficult to imagine people knowing you and people liking you. So I was wondering like how, how you think about this to yourself and how you deal with it. Well, I don't really even think of myself in that way. Honestly, I like, uh, mm. and, and I, and I, and like the way that this business is, is like, you're lucky to do anything. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that that's the right thing. There's so many talented, funny people that should work more that, that don't work as much as they should. And it's, and, it's very frustrating to me and you know like that's just the way this the the, this dumb business goes but when you do get to work and you're lucky enough to work like it's great and but I also know kind of where I'm at like I'm not you know there's that Chris Pratt level of of stardom and not Mm -hmm. that that's even something that I aspire to to have at some point but it's that sort of thing of it feels good to know that people listen to Doughboys and have mm-hmm. seen stuff I'm in and are appreciative and and support what I do. But a lot of the times, it's funny because it like it you don't you don't feel that too much either. It's like a very lonely business sometimes. Mm. You know, like you go out here and you try to do stuff and and you know your life is a lot different than than the people back home and 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 it's and then, you know tougher to start you know, families and stuff like that. And, and, and it's just, it is in, in there's so much uncertainty and that's kind of what the, the business is about is like, there's just always uncertainty. So you like doing tomorrow war, I'm like, that was great. And I had so much fun doing it and this big movie. And then like, that could be it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that is just the way things go in Hollywood is like, that could be the last thing you ever do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of the time you don't, you know, like you don't, you don't, it's not like I, I, you know, I'm not a person who walks down the street and even will get recognized a lot of the time. I'm, mm. I, I, I recently had fake accounts on Instagram and I, and I asked Instagram, I never, me and Nick were always against getting verified on Instagram, mm-hmm. but like, I just like submitted to be verified on Instagram and they denied me. So it's that sort of thing <laughs> of like, that like you stay, like, I think that just coming up in this, in this right. business you get completely humbled so many times like over unless you know you're someone who's really lucky at first and mm-hmm. gets it right away and and but like a, a lot of it is luck and a lot and so so yeah no i i as far as fame goes like that was a long-winded answer but like i i like uh i don't feel famous at all and i don't think that i am mm-hmm. and i don't think that i really even want to be so much as i want to just keep being in i love being in stuff that people see like i i like being in tomorrow war was a dream come true like a big action mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. and so the fact that like millions of people got to see that and i you know got to be funny in it that to me is the dream and that's what i and that's that's what i always want to do and if that means that people recognize you on the street that's great i'm I, that's that always makes me happy especially as kind of like 
a side charactery kind of guy. That's you know that's I'll gladly stop and say hello to people and mm. and uh, and and that's kind of that's kind of my take on it. But but yeah, no, you know, you could get it. You can get you could I, you, here today, gone tomorrow. That's Hollywood. That's showbiz, baby. You yeah. know what I mean? That's <laughs> it's that sort of thing of of. I just got to be grateful for anything I get, and if there's, you know, if if people recognize you and know you from that stuff, that's that's just icing on the cake for me. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of staying humble, that uh, you were saying on Doughboys about how your mom's been helping you to do auditions when you're your mom was helping you to record auditions when you were home in in Quincy. Could you describe that process for uh, for, for people <laughs> who have because uh, it's not as glamorous as I might seem. I think that a lot of actors will know this. It's it sucked. I mean, it was mm-hmm. it was not good. And like, I love my mom, and she was awesome, and she's a saint for helping me do it, just in general. And I I, I know from just talking from other actors, it's that sort of thing of like when you're reading with someone who who like you know who, who's they don't do that for a living. So it's the sort of things of like the things that you'll get upset about is like things that they don't even know, you know. Right. So like. And and you want to like work with like a scene partner, and also like there's the added thing of it's your mom, and you're trying to perform in front of your mom, and like there's been moments where she's like playing my love interest across from me, and I'm right. like this is fucking weird, and I don't like this. With with my mom, there was like I would be reading, and then like I would I would say I would like you know whatever do a good reading of a line, and she would and I would like look at her, and she'd be like mm-hmm, and she'd be nodding, <laughs> she'd like and she would nod, she'd be nodding when I like did it right, and I was like ma don't do that's so distracting. But like, but she, you know, I took my mom to the premiere just recently of of Tomorrow War, and she was like so excited to go. And so much of that is like I owe it all to my mom and dad. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it make it I like I like including my mom in that stuff because we can do it. We'll do, we'll do the audition until we get it right. But I don't like that I get frustrated, which is just a thing with auditions, especially with someone that you love, and you can be like, "Ugh, we're not doing it right" or whatever. But mm-hmm. But or like, ma, you didn't push. You didn't push the record button. That happened so many times. I can't even tell you where we were recording the stuff in between takes instead of the takes. But like, my mom is in her seventies. What you know what I mean? Right, like, right. And, and I love her. And I just the fact that I got to spend time with her was great. So I so mm-hmm. so it was it was it was it was it was all good. But I owe I owe it all to my you know my parents for even you know believing that I could do something and supporting me in in something so so crazy mm-hmm. so uh but then i will say once i got out here i did an audition with jeff dutton like the next week and i was like oh that was so good it was like so much better <laughs> like immediately where i was like oh the god god this is like immediately so much easier that was our conversation with mike mitchell you can find him on twitter at bdayboys mitch or on instagram at my name's mitch and you can listen to his podcast doughboys wherever you get your podcasts stick around we'll be right back Act three, the almost I mention. Here goes. Let's talk about Instagram and whether or not it's good for you. Instagram came out in October of 2010, which is about 11 years ago. I know my parents are going to listen to this. And so in case you don't know what Instagram is, you take a photo, apply a filter to it, and then share it. I remember seeing it for the first time and being instantly drawn in. I knew exactly what I wanted to do with it. I wanted to take a photo of a city skyline at night and then use a filter to add pastel colors to it. You know, give it a dreamy feeling. 
This aspect of the app is still so alluring to me because it suggests that there's a reality so similar to ours, but better and rosier. Capital R Romantic. And it seems achievable because it's so close, right? All it takes is a filter to get there. This, in my opinion, is the philosophy that defines the millennial generation. Things can be better. Whether you're talking about climate change or constantly swiping on Tinder because who knows, the next person could be more interesting than the last, things could be better. And in that example, we see that it's not always a good thing. But with Instagram and whether or not it's harmful, I don't think the act of dreaming is a bad thing. I don't think the act of taking a photo and tweaking the colors to make it sublime is a bad thing. But here's where it becomes a double-sided sword. Seeing how much better things could be makes it easier to feel unhappy with how things are. The easiest example of this is altering your appearance to make yourself look better. Before you say that it's only female teenagers doing this, I want to say that when I was working remotely and doing Zoom meetings every day, you better believe that I cranked up the setting that said, touch up my appearance, every single day. Watching your blemishes disappear and your skin getting smoothed out is addicting. On the other hand, coming out of those meetings and seeing yourself in the bathroom mirror, hair disheveled, spotty skin, is jarring. A very heavy feeling of, oh right, starts to sink in. This, I have no problem saying, is mentally damaging. Writer Vicky Spratt of Refinery29 describes it as, quote, No longer do we merely compare ourselves to others, but to altered, perfected images of ourselves. Oof! <laughs> I think one source of this issue is that, of course, everyone's presenting their best selves online, which can make you feel like you have to as well. And Instagram makes that very easy to achieve. It's like a drug dealer is asking you, Hey, want to look more attractive? Just move the slider to the right. And that's a very difficult thing to say no to. One possible fix to this problem would be to recognize how almost every photo is edited, to keenly examine photos for signs of alterations, especially when we're looking at influencers or people consciously or unconsciously setting a beauty standard. But when I'm scrolling through Instagram, I am not scrolling with a keen skeptical eye. It takes a lot of effort to try and examine every photo with the suspicion that it's been edited and it's so easy to just believe what's being put in front of you. And wow, despite all of this, I still use Instagram. And these photos are being put in front of you a lot. A 2020 study from eMarketer reveals that the average user spends more than 30 minutes a day on Instagram. And, and this, to me at least, got incredibly invasive. I remember sitting in my bedroom late at night and becoming noticeably upset as I scrolled through Instagram. You're reminded of people you don't want to think about, beaches you've never visited, or even want to visit for that matter. And it's suddenly like you've invited all these other people into your apartment, and you're looking at them and hearing all their conversations. After all, they're taking up the same mental real estate. The point is, left unchecked, these unconscious comparisons become more and more frequent. The pressure adds up. To bring it back to our conversations with Mitch and Maggie... We can see that with film, as opposed to Instagram, there's more distance. It's harder to compare yourselves to those you see on screen. After all, they could be on screen at the same time as an alien. With YouTube, it's more tempting to compare yourself, but you're reminded that there's editing through effects or intentional jokes. With Instagram, it's different. It's a mix of people you know and people you don't. 
heavily edited photos and barely edited photos. And it's hard to know what's real and what's not. That's the strength and weakness of an app that shows you what could almost be. Okay. That's going to do it for the show. Did we do it, team? Did we make a narratively coherent episode? This has been Millennial Shelter. I'm your host, Yusung Liu. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a lot. Or you can mention the show to a friend if they ask you what you've been listening to. You can also follow the show on Twitter and, ironically, Instagram at M underscore shelter pod. You do not have to. Episodes are going to come out as soon as they're finished, and I'll keep you updated there. Our art was done by Jaya Nicely, whose website you can find in the episode description. Our music was mixed by Wade Ryan, and you can listen to his work on Spotify under the artist Gold Sedan. Special thanks to Maggie, Mitch, Jaya, Wade, Beth, Emily, Jane, Issa, and many others who have helped in the creation of the show. Please take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.